0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we'll talk about the latest release of ManPages 5.0, Wireshark 3.0, MindTest 5.0, and the DAV1D video decoder. We'll also cover some new distro releases with Pardis, Forum Linux, and Condres OS. We'll also talk about some Linux mobile news with Maru OS and Purisms PureOS. Later in the show, we'll discuss some potentially unfortunate news with Microsoft maybe ending support for Skype for Web on Linux and Europe might be introducing some terrible regulations regarding firmware. Then we'll end on a positive note by rounding up the show with some Linux gaming news, like a new free-to-play game and some new Humble Bundles. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also offers 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co/tux. That's do.co slash tux. You can use that $100 credit to try out a bunch of their small droplets or some of their beast droplets. If you want, you can even test out with their beefy 16-gig RAM 6-virtual CPU droplet that has 6 terabytes of transfer. Again, you can get started with DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux or do.co slash tux. And thanks again for DigitalOcean to sponsor this week in Linux. Up first in the show this week is an update and latest release to man pages. So man pages has released 5.0. This is the first release of man pages in over a year. So it includes 600 commits with nearly 400 changed pages. So in addition to 5.0 release, it includes three entirely new manuals, and also there's a lot of changes to like for the example. One of the new pages is for bpf dash helpers. It's documents that the helper functions for that the kernel provide for eBPF programs to call. This page is auto-generated from kernel files and was brought to life in the man pages project by Quentin Monet. I think that's how you say his name, I'm not really sure. Um, but anyway, so overall there's a ton of new stuff that's being added to this, this latest release like uh, addition of many formerly absent architecture specific system calls, there's been various uh, updates to the uh, perf engine open page and a bunch more. Uh, there's also been many additions to the proc page uh, overall, it's really important because the reason I had it in the beginning of the show is because man pages are, you know, a lot of people don't give a lot of attention or credit to them, even though they're so important and they're used by anyone who's, you know, getting used to like just getting started with Linux. It's very common for people to say, you know, look at the man page or. The run man space and then whatever your package name is to get information about what your, what your the the application you wanted to run is and get like uh, parameters and variable data about how to use that application. So very man pages are incredibly important. So I think that in, anytime something like this comes around that you know it's like like a core functionality, uh, core utility really for systems that we should give uh, attention to it. So uh, thanks f- to the developers of ManPage because there's a lot of them. I have a link to the latest release in the show notes, but I just want to give it a little bit of attention to it because it is very important and you know incredibly useful for a lot of people. So thanks again for making ManPages, and uh, thanks for the latest release. So if you want to find out more, I have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is the release of 3.0 for Wireshark. Wireshark is one of the world's most popular network protocol analyzers. Uh, it's used for troubleshooting, analysis, development, and education as well. Uh, it's actually probably the most popular network protocol analyzer uh, because it's used in a ton of different distributions as far as like uh, even pen testing distributions like uh, Kali Linux or uh, Parrot, and etc. Um, there are a lot of bug fixes and improvements in this release, and you can experience all these improvements by installing Wireshark via an app image now, which is... Really cool because it makes the tool a universal application for pretty much any Linux distro out there. Now, not all Linux distros support epimages, but the vast majority, most, I mean, you could say like 95% of them do or even 90%, something like that. It's a ridiculously high number, so I wouldn't really want to say all of them, but most of them for sure. So one of the most significant enhancements is the is the new protocol support. So you, we now have over two, uh, 20 new protocols added, including Apple's Wireless Direct Link, BTP, BLIP, and Distributed Ruby, to just name a couple. So in addition to following enhancements, they've also made uh, some new and updated file capture support. They've improved the capture interface support. They've changed a lot of API stuff. So if you are using WireGuard, or not WireGuard, but uh, Wireshark is a part of your, uh, syst- of your other tools... You might want to update your scripts because the APIs are significantly changed. changed. Uh, there's also some new file format decoding support and all kinds of new stuff. So, if you're not if you're interested in this kind of thing for network analysis, I think that Wireshark is easily the most popular and probably one of the best, if not the best. So, if you've never tried it out and you're interested in looking into it, I think that it's definitely worth doing. So, if you want to find out more, I'll have a link to the the wireshark 3.0 release notes in the show notes up next in the show is potentially some unfortunate news regarding Microsoft Skype and Linux Microsoft says that you must be using Chrome or Microsoft edge on Windows 10 or Mac OS 10.12 or higher to be able to use the latest version of Skype for web which means that Linux isn't officially supported this also means that Firefox is not supported either which is probably the most interesting piece of this Uh, because that means Firefox on Windows is not even supported. Uh, But you can bypass some limits with changing the user agent in whatever browser you want to use, but there will be some problems still for video calls and voice calls, which is essentially the only reason you would use Skype anyway. But moving on. If you need to use Skype for some reason, you could still do so with a Snap or a Deb or an RPM package for the desktop version. However, this is weird because it... Microsoft has kind of been planning to get rid of the desktop version of Skype for a while to replace it with Skype for Web so this could be a sign of what's to come as far as support for Linux Uh, it's also interesting because Skype for Web was first brought to Linux as a beta in 2015 so it doesn't really make sense for them not to have support for it in the latest version especially considering Skype for Web is literally using web technologies to make it function like WebRTC so there's no reason to be platform specific I don't really know, maybe I'm overreacting, but the lack of Firefox support is what makes this very sketchy, because not having Firefox support, even on Windows, implies that they only care about one individual browser, and also Microsoft Edge is built on top of Chromium, or will be at least, so it's basically one browser engine even, but the other thing is that there are also some uh, Chromium based browsers are not supported like Opera of all things. So like maybe it's not even just the engine itself. So I don't know. It's very weird and it's potentially bad, but I mean really who uses Skype? Skype is not very good. Even the people who use Skype and windows users and Mac users who use Skype also bash it for being garbage. So it's not much of a loss, but it does kind of imply there's some, you know, the people who are talking about Microsoft changing their ways. Maybe they are, maybe they're not probably not, but hopefully they will. We'll see what happens with Skype for Linux, you know, in the future, but on a bright side, I guess Microsoft has open sourced the code for windows calculator. Yay. Up next in the show is a, some really good news actually in comparison to the Microsoft thing, and that is Maru 0.6 has been released. Um, If you haven't heard of it, Maru is a distribution that is designed to work with your phone using your phone as the main computer and having a Android-based phone part but also a the dis- desktop environment that is built on Debian so that you would connect your phone to an HDMI uh, monitor or something like that and be able to uh, switch from your phone to your desktop using the bigger monitor or TV or whatever you connect it to. So it's a really cool idea of instead of having a convergence of a phone de- a device and a uh, desktop separate that connect to each other. This is the phone is everything. It's like everything is stored on the phone, and then you can, can you, when you connect it to a bigger screen, it would then turn into a full Debian desktop. So it's a really cool idea, and the the latest version is actually pretty good. But that I'll, first, I'll talk about wh- why it had a little bit of an issue prior to this, and that is uh, previously, Maru had two big requirements in order to use it. First of all, you needed hardware that supported connecting to an external HDMI display via SlimPort or MHL. Now, another big thing is that they were only able to use the devices they had, so at the time, Maru was built for only uh, Nexus devices, specifically Nexus 5 and Nexus 7. And this is also because they were built, built on the Android Open Source Project, or AOSP, which was also very limited. And that means they have to build their system for the phones and devices that they have. Uh, so as you can imagine, this is you know quite limiting and it only allowed the two devices I mentioned. However, Maru's 0.6 or code name Okinawa removes these hardline limitations. Rebasing the entire uh the, the phone side of Maru on Lineage OS allows Maru to work with any device that supports Lineage OS or that Lineage OS makes builds for. So This is possible. That makes it that you could use Lineage OS um, 15 series. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's built on the 15 series, Um, but also that means everything that supports Lineage OS 15 would potentially be possible to use Maru. Well, they would need the device in order to build the, uh, the images for it, but the potential for devices is much greater, which is awesome. Uh, Maru has also updated their desktop side to Debian 9, so you can get updated packages and uh, kernels and stuff like that. Uh, Google also decided to remove the HDMI feature from their latest phones, which drastically limited the amount of phones that could be supported. Uh, for, so, for example, the Nexus 5 was the last phone that you could do it with. I said maybe the Nexus 6 could too, but you like with all the Pixel devices, you couldn't use... Slim port anymore. You couldn't connect with HDMI, so that created another problem, which Maru has addressed as well. Maru now supports wirelessly desktop streaming, so you can stream your desktop from the phone to a Chromecast device, and it also has support. Well, technically, Maru stated that the Chromecast is the only thing that's officially supported uh, for the streaming. But the community has reported that it also seems to work with Miracast. So you, anything that supports Miracast protocol could also stream from your phone to, your, to whatever the device it is. So this is also a really good thing because previously there was this uh, limitation of only being able to use Bluetooth peripherals like a keyboard and mouse. Because you couldn't plug into the device because it was using the HDMI port. You can use USB keyboards and mice with Maru via the USB OTG port instead. So if you want to use the wireless desktop to whatever these types of devices are, like a Chromecast or a Miracast, then you could use USB OTG to connect these devices. So this makes a lot of potential to be more support for devices, uh, easier access to connect to um, your whatever device you want to use. So you could still use the HDMI or potentially if you have a Chromecast or something that supports Miracast, you could use that as well. So this is very, very cool. The latest version of Maru 0.6 has added support for the Nexus 5, or Nexus 5X, I'm sorry, and has plans to support more devices, but they say that they are limited to the amount of devices they can test, so if anyone wants to help test the devices, I'll have a link to the show notes, I'll have a link to their uh, blog post about the latest release in the show notes, so if you'd like to find out more or participate and help uh, contribute with uh, device testing, and etc., you can do that there. So, again, Maru 0.6 in the show notes. Up next in the show, the Purism company, the one behind Librem 5 and the Linux-based laptops, has announced that they've achieved convergence. They said, you know, if you haven't heard of it, convergence is the idea that the same OS can run on both your phone and your PC. So for example, Apple has this integrated system with iOS and macOS, but they're still different operating systems. Then there's also the same thing with Chrome OS and Android from Google. Different operating systems, but they're integrated. So Purism is saying that PureOS is the operating system that the Librem Librem 5 and Librem new laptops will have on both the the handsets and the laptops, of course. So they're proudly stating that they're the first to achieve this convergence. On their site, they have several demos showing the adaptive nature of resizing windows for matrix and web browsers that additionally move panels and buttons around to adapt from the laptop size to the phone size. And to accomplish this, they created this uh, library called libhandy for developers to allow their programs to adapt to mobile environments using uh, GNOME and GTK plus or GTK. This is uh, available in PureOS and Debian already. So. uh, Purism is saying that Purism is beating the duopoly to that dream of convergence with PureOS. We are now announcing that Purism's PureOS is convergent and has laid the foundation for all future applications to run on both Librem 5 phone and Librem laptops from the same PureOS release. Purism has one convergent operating system, PureOS. Google has two separate ones, Chrome OS and Android. Apple has two, Mac OS and iOS. Okay now here's the thing about this this is great and I look forward to this being a reality however they're saying that this has already happened the Librem 5 phone does not exist yet It doesn't exist yet so to say that this has already happened is a little bit jumping the gun so purism is saying that they've already got this and they don't really because they can't it can't be an actual it can not be a reality yet until the Librem 5 phone is actually shipping yet. So I think they kind of, you know, jumped the line a little bit too much on this. So it is still good, and I'm glad that they have this working, but it also means that some, you know, developers, just because an application or an, an OS has the ability to do the this the transitioning from one device to another, doesn't mean the applications will. So there's still going to be some issues there. And I think there's going to be a lot of applications that are having no ability whatsoever to transition to the phone. Because well, I mean, like Dark Table or GIMP, or you know, very complicated applications like that for image image manipulation or image uh, adjustments are not going to be compatible with the phone, at least not in a full sense. You're going to have to limit the amount of features that you can do in the phone, and like a, like a compromise essentially. So, while I think this is great that they are getting towards that, I think they kind of jumped the line a little bit because until the phones are available to use. You really don't have convergence yet. Uh, I am looking forward to Librem 5, and I do wish them the best and hope that they, you know, when it does come out that it is what they're saying. Anyway, let's move on. Partis 17.5 was released and uh, recently, and if you haven't heard of it, I actually I haven't until recently, uh, Partis is a Debian-based distro developed by the Scientific and Technological Research Council of Turkey and National Academic Network and Information Center. It's like a joint project. It started. It started its life as a Gentoo based project, but now it is using the Debian base um, since uh, late uh, twenty twelve, and they've actually been developing uh, two different branches. Uh, like one is called a corporate edition, and another one's a community edition. I'm not really sure the total differences because it's really hard to like. I've actually done the translation through like Google Translate on their website, and. Um, most of the information I, I could find is from that, doing that, but I think so far I can only find a Turkish version of their website. So i just letting you know that the information I've got might not be accurate based on the translations. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that the Community Edition is like a publicly funded distribution for everybody. Um, and the corporate is more of a, I don't know if it's a, you purchase it or not, but it's for corporations to implement. But if you're interested in checking it out, I didn't give it a shot myself because I don't speak Turkish. But if you do and you have are interested in trying it out, let me know about in the, what you think about it in the comments below. Uh, and, and if you are interested in looking at it, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is a latest release of Twenty Eight from Four M Linux. Four M Linux has released their new version. It's an independently de- developed distro. If you haven't heard of it. Uh, this is really interesting because I like distros that have—they're uh, not deb- based on anything. Mainly because it's just interesting to see what they do with their independent structure and how they lay out their system. So in this particular case, uh, this distro uh, ships with the kernel four point nineteen point nineteen, and it has um, some—it it has an interesting theory of how it works. But before we get to this, let's talk about the latest features. So they have an improved installation script, and they've updated uh, their library for firmware support which is always nice. They've also got a barcode reader called ZBar, which is interesting, and they have uh, support... I'm not really sure how this technically works, but they have support for Debian and Fedora packages via Midnight Commander and N-Grandpa. Uh They also have support for Electrum now, so you can use Electrum as a uh, downloadable extension to support uh, Bitcoin and Litecoin wallets. So, interesting. Four M and Linux is small, a small and independent general-purpose Linux distribution, and, ha- and they say that they have a strong focus on the following four M's of computing: maintenance. That makes sense. Sys- they have a system rescue live CD as well. Uh, multimedia. So they have support for a huge number of image, audio, and video formats. Okay. A mini server. Mm, okay. Uh, they have it's, it's support for DNS, FTP, HTTP mysql nfs and some many many more things uh, server-related anyway then they have the fourth one which is hmm, called mystery which means a collection of classic linux games okay if you say so i don't anyway if you're interested in checking out 4m linux it is a um, i think it's based on jwm is their their interface Uh, so if you would check it out if you would like to check it out for 4m linux 28 i'll have a link to it in the show notes this episode of This Week in Linux is also brought to you by the Tux Digital community, specifically those that contribute to the channel and the show via PayPal, Patreon, or some other way. By becoming a patron of Tux Digital, you are helping out the production of the show, as well as helping to cover costs like podcast hosting and other stuff. As a thank you, I provide special rewards to Tux Digital patrons, like access to unedited live streams of each episode of the show. So if you missed the live stream and would like to watch me fumble my words often, then become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can also help out the channel with no additional cost to you by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. You'll find links to places like Amazon, private internet access, and many more. And you can do this by just going using one of the links on the website at tuxdigital.com affiliates. Up next in the show is another new distro to me, and that is, I think it's pronounced Kondras. I'm not sure, but let's say Condress OS. It's a rolling release based on Arch, and it has a variety of different desktop environments that you can choose from. It uses the Calamari system installer to install the system. Um, this is the latest release of 19.03. Is a snapshot of other new packages. Yeah, Condris OS comes with or Condris OS comes with flavors uh, like uh, KDE, Plasma, GNOME, Cinnamon, Mate, and XFCE. They have the latest version of Plasma 5.15.2. They have the almost, like, the Gnome is 3.30 right now, which technically is the latest version. However, pretty soon, within, like, sometime next week, uh, I think Wednesday, the latest version of Gnome 3.2032 will come out. and We'll talk about that in the next episode of the show. Uh, this also has XFCE 4.12, Cinnamon 4.0, and Mate 1.21. So they've actually released this latest version with Calamari's, and it's the second version that they've had Calamari's uh, built in as their installer. So they've made some improvements to you know, make it cleaner to install. Uh, Condras is an interesting distro because it is one of those Arch-based distros that's trying to make it easier to use Arch. They have pre-installed uh, desktop environments. They have a graphical uh, grap- 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 uh, graphical applications to easily install software and update your system. It has pre-installed codecs to play multimedia files, and it has a uh, rolling release model based on Arch, but it also has support for the Arch user repository, or the AUR. I'm not really sure how exactly it's connected to Arch, really, maybe it's a fork, maybe not. I couldn't really find out the information, Um, but I think they have their own repos. I I know they have their own repos, but I don't know how much of a uh, connection do they have directly to Arch, because they have a lot of packages in their repo, but not everything. Um, but anyway, so it's a simplified, user-friendly uh, installation process that also has an automatic detection of your computer's hardware, which then they offer an automatic installation of software of like drivers for it. So it's, it's an interesting thing because it's Arch-based, but they're doing the whole uh, user-friendly approach to try to get it easier to use Arch. Now, there's other distros that are like this. Um, so for example, Entergos ha- is more of an extra layer on top of Arch. And Manjaro is more of a fork of Arch, so I'm not really sure where Condres or Condres fits in this structure. But if you know, let me know in the comments below, and I will make an update in the show notes to verify if it's a fork or a you know extra layer or something. Uh, either way, I think it's interesting that this distro exists because you know anytime uh, people want to try Arch, it's very difficult to install for the first time, and while uh, people shouldn't you know go to different distributions that are based on Arch and then expect Arch to give them support, it is interesting to see uh, you know, easier access to Arch tools because at least they could get like a you know, beginner intro to it. So that might be pretty cool for some people. So if you are interested in checking out Condress OS, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is a release, the 0.2 release of the AV1 video decoder called... Dav1d, although I want it to be pronounced David, I don't know if it's, that's how you're supposed to say it or not. But I'm going from this point forward, I will call it David. So David is an open source AV1 video decoder, and this release adds support for older PCs and ARM-based mobile devices. The code name Antelope to this uh, adds support for lower power devices, and this made possible by handwriting the SSSE3 in the Neon assembly code. So this results in the C functions being sped up by factors of the range between 2 and 20. So this is really cool because in the blog post they released some benchmarks that they show that almost any device can be was able to play uh, 1080p at 30 frames per second. And quad core processors were able to handle 1440p at 60 frames per second and uh, 2160p at 30 frames per second. So this is really cool and this is being made by... Uh, VideoLAN, which also makes VLC, and it's also partially funded by the Alliance for Open Media. Uh, this is important because the AOM is the developers behind the AV1 format. So the AOM plus the VLC uh, group—it's a great combination to push this forward. So AV1 has shown to have potential of twenty. If you haven't heard of AV1 specifically, it is a potential new front format to create to become like a standard. Uh, AV1 has shown that to have potential of 20% higher data compression than VP9 or H.265, and also about 50% higher than the widely used AVC, which is more commonly known as the H.264 or MP4 uh, formats. AV1 is the primary contender for standardization by the Video Standard Working Group, NetVC, of the Internet Engineering Task Force, the IETF. Anyway, this group has put together a list of criteria to be met by the video standard and uh, AV1 is currently the potential to become that standard. Which would be great because the biggest issue with H.264 and MP4 is the patents surrounding them and the H.265 has even more patents around it. So if if those becomes the standard, it could be very bad for the future of sharing media. Whereas if this was become the standard, this is an open source and royalty free co- uh, video codec and format. So this would be much much better. And it's really nice to see the combination of the AOM and the VLC teams working together to accomplish this goal. So uh, my hat's off to them. I don't really wear hats usually, but um, you know still, so hats off to them. And if you'd like to learn more about this, the David AV1 video decoder. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show, Intel has announced that they're going to offer the Thunderbolt 3 specs to USB Promoter Group. So this is great because they're offering it up the Thunderbolt 3 specs for with royalty-free to the USB Promoter Group by, and by offering this it will make Thunderbolt 3 um, available for other hardware vendors in a royalty-free uh, approach. So the USB Promoter Group mission is to develop USB family of specifications to increase functionality and performance of USB solutions. In addition, it was announced that the USB 4 specification is based on the Thunderbolt Thunderbolt protocol. So USB 4 will allow using this Thunderbolt protocol will allow it to have speeds up to 40 gigabits per second, charging speeds of 100, or of 100 watts per uh, of power. And this means it can support two 4K displays or one 5K display with a single port, and it's also going to be backwards compatible. So this has a lot of interesting potential because a unified approach like this means that uh, it's far less headaches for consumers having to keep multiple variations of cor- co- cords around to support their future devices. And it also means it means much more powerful, and because it is royalty free, a lot more vendors are being willing to use it, which is great because USB. Um, type C is good as a uh, as a connector, but with Thunderbolt, it makes it so much much more um, powerful, and it also allows you to do daisy chaining and, and stuff. So, if you're not sure what daisy chaining is, so you could have one one device connected to a port, and then have another device connected to it uh, in a connected to that original device cord. So you can do multiples through one port. There's a lot of potential there, and it's really nice to see Intel doing this sort of thing. So if you'd like to learn more about this particular uh, piece of news, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is some potentially bad news. Now I say potential because currently it's just a proposal. It's not a law yet. Um, But the European uh, proposal for essentially ending the ability to have custom device firmware because it will be changing... Well. Essentially, flips the responsibility of radio conformity from the in the past. You would use uh, the person who owns the hardware would, and if you change the 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 software on the device, you would be responsible to make sure that you don't break any applicable regulations like frequency and signal strength. But they're trying to they're potentially changing it to so that the manufacturers have to present prevent the consumers from doing it. Well, basically, they're putting a requirement for the manufacturers to stop you from doing it, which would create an issue of if you bought the devices from these uh, companies like routers or uh, access points or et cetera, you wouldn't be able to change anything because they would put like bina- binary blobs that would break it if you tried to. Just basically a lot of speculation around this because there's really, there, it's just proposals, but the proposed laws in Europe around the EU radio equipment directive and this law says, or this proposed law, uh, hardware manufacturers of devices that send radio signals, including routers, would not be allowed to install software which was not already certified by the manufacturer. So the new proposal reads, uh, Radio equipment uh, shall support certain features in order to ensure that software can only be loaded into the radio equipment where the compliance of the combination of radio equipment and software has been demonstrated. This is Article 3, Subsection 3, Subsection I of the Radio Equipment directive um so yeah hopefully this is not passed because if it is it will probably be ignored by pretty much everyone but it might but depending on how the hardware is built it might also make it impossible because you could break your system your brick your device if you were to try to do it so anyway not good um link in the show notes up next in the show is the release of 5.0 for mind test So, if you've not heard of it, MineTest is kind of like an open source Minecraft, but it's a little bit more interesting than that, because MineTest is not necessarily a game. I mean, it kind of is, but it's more than a game. It's a game engine. Uh, MineTest is supported on Linux, Windows, Android, BSD, and macOS. Uh, So, this is actually pretty interesting because they've added a lot of cool features, Um, but one of the biggest features I'll get to in a second, but first of all, uh, 5.0 is... Is actually kind of a, a compatibility-breaking release because it's a big major version release, so it's not compatible with the ver- the previous versions of the engine, like the the engine or the client. However, this applies to only the clients and servers. Uh, so other content such as mods, texture packs, uh, worlds, etc., stuff like that is completely unaffected and will be backwards compatible. With whatever version you use, so they've also updated a feature so that you can now uh, translate. Uh, has a translate support tool for uh, mods and games, and it also added better controls and joysticks to the Android version of Mine test However, the biggest feature of this release has to be the online comp- uh, content repository, which lets you easily download games, mods, mod packs, texture packs and other stuff uh, directly from the menu inside of Mindtest test so this is really cool because it used to be kind of difficult to get the mods and then put them in the right location now you just go to the uh, the content repository and just download the stuff right there which is very very cool though there is some issues with dependency resolution so if you download a mod that has um, a pack uh, you know, needs needs another mod or another pack to work then you will need to install that mod separately uh, in the future, they, they, there might be a potential where they have the, the dependency resolution, but right now it's not. So you just got to make sure that if, if the mod you installed doesn't work, check to see if it has other mods that it needs and then install those. Uh, it should be pretty easy to find out what's needed, uh, but on the mod page, but, um, you might have to deal with something like that. Anyway, Mindtest 5.0 was released and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is a new game that actually, I think I talked about it in a previous episode, or I might have just tweeted about it. I'm not totally sure. I don't remember exactly, but it is a game that is interesting because it is a it's a fighting game, but it's a sword fighting game like fencing. And it's pretty cool. It's made by a company called Puny Human, which is, that's a fun name for a company. And uh, the reason why it's interesting why I'm putting in the show this time is that they have just announced that the Blade Symphony game is now free to play. So I actually played this game um, a couple months ago, they had a free weekend, and I played it. And it's a really fun game. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't decide. I decided not to buy it because there wasn't that many people playing it in the free weekend, even. So, like, they didn't have a big enough user base. So, the the game felt kind of repetitive because I'd play. I'd have to play the same people over and over, and they were better than me. So, I didn't want to continue to be beat down that much. But uh, being becoming free to play means there's a lot more access to people who could join and play the game, and then that way there'd be a lot more you know diverse uh, action in the game. So that's pretty cool. So I am looking forward to uh, trying out the latest version of Blade Symphony, and I'm looking forward to a larger user base for this game because it does have a lot of potential and it is pretty fun. So if you're interested in checking out a sword fighting game like this, I have a link to it in the show notes. And lastly, this in this episode we're talking about the humble indie bundle. Actually, we're gonna talk about a couple bundles, but it's really cool for the humble bundle uh, to start to bring back the indie bundle because it means uh, all the games are independent uh, indie developers, and uh, they're also very interesting games most of the time. So this one's no exception to that. So first up, we got First Tree, Tangle Deep, Among the Sleep, Getting Over It, Tooth and Tail, and Overgrowth. Now, some of these are like Tooth and Tails, an interesting game. Overgrowth is a very weird game where you're playing a rabbit humanoid thing, and you have battles, and it's like a third-person exploratory game with, I don't know. It's interesting. You have to just look it up. It's You have to just view the trailer to see what it's about. It's, it's a, you know, it's interesting. There's also some other games that are very interesting as well, like The First Tree. Is a pretty cool game. Um, it's more, it's like a adventure game as well, or story based adventure game. But anyway, uh, the next uh, bundle we're going to talk about is the video game comics bundle. Now, this is a interesting thing because it's it's like developing stories or expanding on stories in certain video games. So, for example, one of them is uh, Dark Souls, uh, Warhammer forty thousand, Assassin's Creed, Dishonored, and many more. So it's interesting to have these kind of um, comics because it, ex, exploring the games beyond just the games is an interesting concept to, that you know might be worth checking out. Another one is one that's actually pretty cool that you might want to check out pretty soon because it's the Computer Science Books Bundle. This one is um, has a lot of interesting concepts. That, it has a bunch of books in this, this bundle. So if you're interested in anything like cloud computing, uh, data cleanup, Software quality assurance, regular expressions, Python 3, object-oriented programming, and many more things. Uh, There's a lot in that bundle, so you might want to check that out. Uh, And finally, this bundle is just weird. Um, It's kind of fun at the same time for the same reasons as a video game comics bundle, but this is a Star Trek comics bundle. And Star Trek... Well, I mean, I'm a big, huge fan of Star Trek. I love Star Trek. But I don't know how well it works with comics, so... It's interesting, and I might check it out because of that. Um, but there are some interesting comics that are like expanding on movies or expanding on some TV show episodes and some various different uh, versions of the TV show, as well as combining different versions together. So that is an it could be a cool approach. However, they also have some really weird crossovers that just for the sake of ridiculousness might be worth checking out. And that is, Star Trek meets Planet of the Apes. Because, reasons. And then also, the Star Trek original series has a crossover with Transformers. And if that wasn't weird enough, the Star Trek original series recasted for the movies has a crossover with DC's Green Lantern. Okay. Anyway, if you'd like to check out any of these bundles, I'll have a link to all of them in the show notes. And also, just to be clear... All of these bundles links are affiliate links that will give a benefit to the Tux Digital channel. As a small percentage of these sale will go to Tux Digital, as well as this podcast. So, uh, if you would like, if you do have any interest in checking out one of these bundles, please use the links in the video description or in the show notes. Very much pre- appreciated. So, thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute, via PayPal, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways you can contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, private internet access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live usually every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux canoes each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.